start back up where we left off at Genesis, and we'll be picking back up here <coughs> in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24, the whole chapter, the title is The Fall of Man. Foundational truths start right here in chapter 3 of Genesis. These foundational truths of the 6,000 uh, years of human history really is pivotal and changes right here in this chapter. The foundational truth that runs through the entire scripture is foundational and it pivots right here at chapter 3. The entry of sin into the world is foundational and starts here in chapter 3. The start of prophecy starts here in chapter 3 of Genesis. The blood atonement, the substitute, substitutionary atonement starts right here in chapter 3 of Genesis. And all that we believe that is developed through the scriptures starts here at the pivotal point here of chapter 3. Now, Genesis 3 is that turning point or the remaining of the Bible. And if there was no chapter 3, there would be no Bible as we would know of it as of today. Because the scripture documents the sad consequences of Adam's sin and explains what God in his grace has done to rescue us in the remaining of the scriptures. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 21, the Bible records the conflict between God and Satan. It records this difference between sin and righteousness. It records the pleads with sinners to repent, to trust in God Almighty. So after chapter 3, the rest of the Bible is explaining what happened. Remember, the first two chapters, it was God created paradise. It was just perfect. Perfect man, perfect woman, everything with the environment, everything was perfect. And then we find here in chapter 3, as we will see, the fall of man, sin enters. And it goes downhill ever since. And the remaining of the Bible is all explaining how God is, is on a love, a love story of how he's going out to reach and bring back and redeem man. All the way to the very end. What an incredible story. And how did you know chapter 3 of Genesis was so pivotal? And today we find so many churches do not even teach the Old Testament. It's, it, it's not good. We have to have the whole counsel of God. And chapter 3 is critical for us to the understand the remaining of the rest of the scriptures. So up to this point, God had made, given mankind a perfect environment to live in. Called the Garden of Eden where he placed man and woman in there. With great food, with a perfect environment, and a simple, joyful life with God. What's interesting is we studied in the first couple of chapters, he pl God planted a tree, the tree of life, right there in the midst of the garden, which, which may have been an actual food for immortality. 
indicating that immortality is, in, is dependent on something outside of ourselves. And that this tree was again be accessible to those whose robes were washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you can go back and see what that specifically means in Revelation 2.7, Revelation 22.2, and Revelation 22.14. And we will see the tree of life once again in the millennial time. But there was also a tree planted by God in the midst of the garden. And that tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which had fruit that was appeared to be good, but it wasn't so good. But looked good, it brings about a desire to make one wise, it says. But whatever the exact nature of that this tree was, it served as a test for Adam and Eve to be obedient to God. God had told them they could do anything they wanted to do except one thing in that garden. Everything else, all was good. Everything you could do, you're in control of this thing. It's all good. Can you imagine? You tell a child, you can do whatever you want to do in this house. Anything. Anything. The refrigerator is in the midst of the house. The toys are in the midst of the house. But son, don't touch this very special, special lamb. In the midst of the garden. And you leave the house. What one thing do you think that child is going to go tell? <laughs> do you see where the sinful nature has come from? See, God has said, you can have everything. And it's all good. And it's good for you. And it looks good, tastes good, everything good. Just don't touch the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. Because out of obedience, I want you just not to touch it. And he tells Adam that clearly as we saw that. So from the very beginning, God designed man to live forever. The one condition was being obedience to God. As long as they refrained, God was their master. But when in spite of God's command not to touch that tree... They chose to do the one thing they made themselves their own master to do. And they said, and then in their actions, they decided, I'm going to touch the tree anyway. And that is the essence of human sin. That is the essence of human sin entering the world. Disobedience to God's command. So now we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? It's interesting, just taking a look at this first verse, that the text does not say by itself alone clearly identify the serpent as Satan here. 
that this is Satan in disguise. It doesn't really clearly say that, but if you know the rest of the scriptures and you know your Bible, the Bible makes it clear that this is Satan appearing as a serpent. You can go back to Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 19, tells us that Satan was in Eden. Many other passages associate the serpent or a snake-like creature with Satan. We can go back and read Job chapter 26, verse 13. You can go back to Isaiah 51, 9. You can go to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 14. Satan is crafty. He can transform himself even to an angel of light. Revelation 12, 9, Revelation 20, verse 2, speaks of the dragon that the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. It's interesting, in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, tells us Satan, before his fall, was an angel in the order of the cherubim. He was a cherub, a cherub. And he was a part of the cherubim of the highest rank and providence of the angel hierarchy. Many of them considered him as a worship leader in heaven. And in Isaiah 14 tells us that Satan's fall had to do with his desire to be equal or greater than God to set his will against God's will. Now if you remember, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, everything that God created and put into motion was what? Very good. Day seven, God rested. Everything in the entire universe was exactly in place. Now we find here in chapter three, whatever that time frame is, Lucifer chooses his actions to go against the will of God. And there is the fall of Lucifer plus the one third of the angels that followed him which we refer to as demons today. He was cast out of heaven. He went directly where? We find him here in Eden. Remember, the scriptures tell him he was in Eden. Then we see in chapter 3, we find himself moving from Eden into the Garden of Eden and disguising himself as the serpent. Fascinating. But yes, the fall of Lucifer, who wanted to be the most high. He wanted to be like God. But what he really did not like, and I believe truly what did happen is when God created man and put man above the angels, above him, he became envious. And envy will cause a person to sin and will cause a person to want to dominate over someone else they envy against. And that's exactly what happened to Lucifer. He envied and he hated the fact that God created a human being that was like God. And he wanted to be like God and he wasn't. So the first thing he did when he got cast out of heaven was to do what? Come after man. To take him out of the position that God placed him in, which was a sweet fellowship in the Garden of Eden. And he wanted to take him out. 
And this is the story we see here in chapter 3 of Genesis. Because of that hate, it still follows to today. Satan and the demons and anything and anyone who follows Satan and demons, whoever who walks in darkness, serves the purpose of what the, the Satan wants to do, and that is to take out the human uh, humans or you and I out of mankind, as God refers us to us as our name, mankind out of fellowship from God. That's what he does. He's a deceiver. His whole mission is to take you away from the truth of God. To go against the will of God. To be disobedient to God's word. That is his whole mission. And you and I must fight with everything that God gives you against those on a daily basis. And he is there to help you with the power of the Holy Spirit. God is sovereign. His foreknowledge understood all of this. We know in Revelation 13, 8, that God even knew that the, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. This whole story that is unraveling, coming up front of us, was already seen by God and knew and had a plan. And he's going to ro roll that right out into the scriptures for us as we see this, as we continue through the entire Bible. But the serpent was cunning. He's crafty. We see those descriptions of Satan. He may be effective at times, but often all we need to do is understand that if apart from God, yes, he can have control over you. You and I cannot, we don't have the power to push away Satan. But with God's help and with his power, we can. And we understand that God is in control of our lives. And apparently, before the curse pronounced here in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, the serpent was different. Somehow he has legs, he was walking about, and he was disguised in a way and approached and had a voice that Eve could hear, communicate directly to her. It doesn't matter how he did it, it the matter is what he said to her. It doesn't matter if Satan was right in front of him and she could hear and see or it was a whisper in her ear. It doesn't matter how, it's what is being communicated in the ear of the, of the listener. But this creature didn't start as a snake as we would know it today. It became one. But Satan brought his temptation against the woman because he perceived she was more vulnerable to the attack. Why is that? Not sure exactly. Maybe it's because she didn't receive the commandment from God directly, but it was given to Adam, and Adam communicated to woman. He's the one who communicated to his wife. Maybe he was a guy even at that point in time. Oh, you know, God said a few things. He just said, don't touch the tree in the midst of the, of the garden. He was vague. He didn't give all the details. I don't know if male was, you know, was like us today as guys. We give vague and little details. But maybe he gives vague and little details back in that day. Maybe he said, ah, something about if we touch it, we could possibly die. You know, versus, no, you shall definitely die if you touch the tree, eat of the, of the tree. 
But whatever the reason is, Satan came after the woman, and the woman was willing to listen. But also keep in mind this. It was also in God's plan to allow Satan to tempt Eve this way. Because if Adam would have been the one that was the one that Satan came after and was able to get after Adam, and Adam is the one that sinned first, then he would have been given the fruit and given the fruit to Eve and then caused her to sin. She might have a partial excuse coming to God and say, I was simply obeying the head of our home. Talk to him. I was just being obedient to the, to the, the head of the house. That, that, that's, my, that's his fault. Well, this time he didn't, she didn't have an excuse for that. She couldn't say, say that. But Satan's first attack is leveled against the word of God, have you noticed? Did really God say that? That's how, that's how Satan works. By putting a question mark on the word of God. We see it in its full uh, uh, fruitfulness today in our world. People disregard the Bible in its entirety. We see people today who are Christians who go to church who don't even believe in the entire word of God. They have been deceived just like Eve. They pick and choose what appropriately they think is good for them. And if it goes against their desires and their flesh, then they, do, they discount the word of God. That is extremely dangerous. And that is why we call the title today, The Fall of Man. Because they have fallen to the trickery of the devil. And they have fallen to sin when you, when you push away the truths of God, and that is the Bible. See, Satan took God's positive command of every tree of the garden you may eat, freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good, of good and evil, you shall not eat. And he rephrased it into a negative way. God won't let you eat of every tree back to the child have anything in the house just don't 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 partake of the that special light right there in the middle of the house and that's what gravitates people to the i cannot versus understanding of all that god has given you in verse 2 we see eve's reply here to the serpent. How did she reply to this inquiry from the serpent? He says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So Eve's first mistake was the fact that she was even carrying a dialogue with the serpent in the first place. There's times where Satan would come into your face and say something to you that you can't control, but you don't have to have a conversation and keep that conversation going with him. All you and I know from the scriptures in Jude 9 says, all you have to say is the Lord rebuke you. 
That is all you have to say. But to have a dialogue and to search out and discuss the things of what Satan is, that's craziness. But that was her first mistake, that she entertained this, this, uh, this, this serpent. Also, we see here Eve's knowledge of what she should not do is partially correct. But what she doesn't seem to know makes her all the more vulnerable to deception. Eve does not seem to know even the name of the tree. She just said, oh, the tree in the midst of the garden. She even misquoted God's command to Adam. She lessened what God said. God said, you, can, you, you, you cannot eat that. You shall surely die. She responds back and says, you, know, you shall not eat it lest you die. Not as, not as a con maybe I won't, what I'm about to do may not be of consequence to this. This may not be as bad as I think it's going to be. She thought it was close enough to what God said. But she added to the commandment is where she got in really big trouble. Because nowhere did God say to Adam that you could not touch the fruit. She added that piece. Now don't get me wrong. If God says don't eat of the tree, that you don't go play with it and handle it and, and, and stare at it and put it in front of you. And well, I'm not eating it. I'm not eating it. Because eventually you're going to be tempted enough to eat it. But he again... God's word did not say you can't touch it. God's word said you cannot eat it. But it's a very dangerous thing to teach doctrines of man as if it is God's words. As if it's the commandments of God. And God warns us in Matthew 15, 9, you do not add or subtract from the word of God as well, we see in the end of Re Revelation. So we keep the word of God simple. We teach it verse by verse. We want you to know the whole counsel of God. If you're not familiar with the word of God, then seek after, be like a Berean, search the scriptures, know the scriptures. Come to those that God has have a calling on their life to help you with the scripture. But please don't share your wisdom or the wisdom of a man that you've read on the internet and you Googled and whatever to find someone that's twisted the word of God to justify your sin. Because you've put yourself at a tremendous risk of going to hell because of the sin. Because you're in disobedience to the word of God. Don't do that, I warn you. Because like Eve, she did not handle the word of God properly. And she should have turned to Adam. Adam should have been a leader. We will see he was not. And they should have turned to God because God met with them daily in the midst of the Garden of Eden. And she should have gone to God as a minimum. She said, God help me. 
this dude here, this serpent is talking in my ear. What do you want? He won't stay away from me. God would have been there for him. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, look at all the things you get to gain from this. Isn't this going to be great, Eve? So you see the next step, what, how Satan works. Not only does he turn things to the negative to, 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 to take away from what, what God has given you and, take it, and, and focus you on what he, he is restricting you from, which was one thing in the entire plan. Focused on the negative of what you cannot have. Here he now takes and questions God's character. Questions what God has said to her. Because if God, if Satan can convince you that his word is not accurate or true, if he can sit there and tell you that his character is not good, he's not a good God, he's an evil God, he's a harsh God, and you hear it all today, still today. Nothing new under the sun, how Satan works. But if you can get people to see that God's word is not something you need to follow, you cannot have to follow a God who's, he's not a good God. How could God do these things? How could God allow this? How can God do It's just Satan working into the minds of the people. And it started here in chapter 3 of Genesis with Eve. Because here, Satan is just effectively laying a groundwork. He just led her in through a discussion, then planted the seed of doubt about God's word. He exposed Eve's incomplete understanding of the word of God. Now he moves in for the kill, an outright contradiction to what God said. That's why God said in uh, Ephesians 4, 27, give place to the, do not give place to the devil. Stay away from all forms of, 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 e of evilness we see in 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't play with those things. Because you will surely die. God said it would happen. All Satan wanted to do is convince Eve to not remember what God said. If he can cloud you and get you away from the word of God and what God says about that situation, he's got you. Because if you don't focus on the fact that God has set a standard, a set a direction, a commandment, then you will forget the consequences of the sin if you partake of it. And when, but when we know and remember the consequences of sin, we are more likely to give up the passing pleasures of sin. We see that in Hebrews 11.25. That's how you even raise children. You say, no touching. 
Because if you touch, there are consequences to your action. And the consequences are appropriate to the action. Because you want to remind them that there are consequences. And as parents, you follow through with those consequences. So that they understand there are consequences to bad actions. Bad decisions. So they can grow up and learn. Because they need to understand that God gives commandments. God gives direction. God gives callings. God shows and And you to learn to teach them up as parents. So when they get old enough at an age of accountability, that they will then make decisions based on God's direction. God's leading of their life. And that they would be obedient to that. We see here in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise... She took, it, took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So Eve surrendered to the temptation. And exactly that we see the same way that Satan works at this moment, we see even reference in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, his ways are the same ways today. How does he do it? Well, first, she gave into the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. She didn't know that it was good for food. It just appeared to be good for food. She was convinced, oh, that looks good. This will be good for me. That's the lust of the, of the flesh. The second step is the lust of the eyes. She gave into the lust of her eyes because she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the second trick of the enemy. Get you to see something that says, ooh, that's good for my flesh. Oh, that looks good to the eyes. And then she gave into the pride of life. That desirable to make one wise. Oh, I'm going to gain from this personally. That's what we see in 1 John chapter 2. The, de def the definition of worldliness. If you want to know if you live a worldly life. Then look at how you spend your time, your money, and your energy around and doing because it will tell you if you're following the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the pride of life. Just like Eve. Now, our Savior knows and understands what we deal with. He, too, was also tempted the exact same way by Satan in the wilderness. The threefold way. He appealed to uh, Jesus' physical appetite. He actually appealed to the covetousness and emotional desires and or appealed to pride. All of those things in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, you can see our, our Savior was also tempted, but every single time he was tempted, what did he say? It is written. 
He pushed Satan back with just a simple, it is written. God's word is true. So when things come into the lust of our flesh, to the lust of our eyes, or the pride of life, do we push it back by saying it is written in the scriptures that I do not touch, that I do not partake of, that I, I don't care how I feel, I don't care how I, I, my flesh wants and desires, I don't care how that just makes me be lifted up and self-absorbed and everything. It's going to destroy you. Because if it goes against the word of God, it will, you will, shall surely die. It's as clear as can be. It's not complicated. But she took partial truth. She kind of understood. Sure, the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. It could have been the best looking tree of the entire garden. None of that emotion matters. None of that logic matters. Because God gave a commandment, do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So your emotions do not trump God's commandment. Your logic does not trump God's commandment. The world's knowledge and wisdom does not trump God's commandment. That's why you and I need to know the word of God. And we study the word of God and partake of it daily. Then the eyes of both of them were open. Now we see the consequence because Eve partake. And there is Adam. It says right here, you know, you can get all kinds of people's viewpoints. But the scripture, I keep it very simple. It says she also gave to her husband with her. Some people say, oh, Adam wasn't around. Or Adam would have rise to the occasion and been the godly man. Hello. He ate the fruit. say, oh, you know how women are. They go shopping on their own and leave the husband home. No. Right there, husband with her. Where was he? Where was he mentally? Was he not engaged to what was happening with his wife right next to him? Hello? Obviously not. Was he was she now become an idol to him? This is woman. He's, she came from my flesh, a bone of my bones. I, whatever she wants. I mean, I don't want her to leave me here. And he becomes whatever, uh, he, whatever she wants, she gets for me. Understanding that God had said, you're the head of, of this home. You're to lead her. She became an idol to you now? She, she gets to just pull your strings? Is that what happened? Whatever the scenario, 
it's not good. She was disobedient to a, a, to a commandment she understood enough to not to touch, let alone eat. And even if she touched it, God didn't say she couldn't touch it. But what's interesting is that right there, she handed him the fruit. Did he just freely just take of it without even asking the question if this is right? Because remember, he's walking with God and God is giving him direction and what to do through the entire garden experience. When it came to this, he did not go to God and say, God, is this good? Is this right? What no, he already knew that it was not good. It didn't say he was deceived. He freely took. That is why the sin falls on Adam's head. Because Eve was deceived and he partake freely of knowing that it was sin or knowing that it was against God's commandment. What would bring a man to knowing God said don't do that? What would cause a man to do it anyway? Because he took his eyes off of God and put them on Eve and made her a replacement of God's position. In any relationship, wives, God, your husband's not God. Husbands, your wives are not goddesses. There is only one true God, and both of us, both you and your spouse, must keep your eyes on him and him alone. And the two of you together seek after him together because you're one. It's so important not to be seen. But anyway, their eyes were both open. Sin is now into their lives. They're now open and they see things that God never intended for them to have to see as evil. They ever experience evil. They had a perfect life, a perfect environment. Every, so many times people will say in this worldly thinking, sociology and psychology, oh, if the person's environment was better, if they had better parents, they had this and this and that. All the blame is shifted everywhere except taking understanding that the fact that you and I were born a sinner is based on Adam and Eve. Because even the two most perfect, most genius, most incredibly perfect people were given from the very beginning a free will, the free action to make decisions and actions, and God planted that tree to provide that way. Because you do not have free will if you do not have choice. He didn't create robots. He created a human beings to love him and to worship him and to walk with him on a daily basis. And here we find that they have chosen to be disobedient and want to be masters of their own life. I want this desire and I'm going to fulfill this desire. And she took and he took and whatever it is. They just 
did not keep their eyes on Jesus at that moment. And that's when their eyes were opened. They knew they were naked. They knew there was something changed, something went wrong. We see in Psalm 104.2, Matthew 17.2, suggests that the two of them prior to falling and taking partaking of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were clothed in the garment of righteousness by God himself. A garment of light. And as soon as they sin entered, that light came up away and they saw themselves in a naked state of vulnerability and, and something of corruption. Something not right. And they immediately, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves over their lower part of their, of, of their private parts together and made themselves coverings. And we see it through all the generations of all kinds of tribes and nations where over the years and centuries and historians, those are the lower body parts of a human being. That's what was always covered, not the upper part always. But we always see it through the generation or through the historians. It was always that lower part because it was there that the seed would bring brought forth you and I, generations to come, that there would be sin that would be coming forward to all of human mankind. The way they saw themselves changed. How they saw the entire world now was different. And after the fall, everything looked worse. And that guilt of knowing that they sinned brought them to the point of understanding that they needed to cover themselves. But they chose, instead of running to God and saying, God, we really messed up. Help me. They chose to take the matter in their own hands and create their own coverings, their fig leaves. They're going to do it their way, do it their how. They could have just cried out to God and ran to his mercy and his grace. But instead they said, I'll just cover it myself. And we'll just hide. Maybe he won't know. See, that's the trick of the enemy, is it not? How many times we can sin, then we cover it up and think that God doesn't see and doesn't know? You don't know your God. What we see here. Every attempt to cover our own nakedness before God is just as is, is it foolish. We need to let Jesus cover us, Revelation 3.5 and Revelation 3.18. Put on Jesus himself as our covering of garment, Galatians 3.27. The exhortation from Jesus is for us, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches Keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Revelation 16, 15. 
They try to do it their own way. Well, then what happens? Well, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking. In the garden, in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? If you know God, you will have one of two voices right now in your head of how God entered the garden like he did. If you have a personal relationship with God, you would hear the voice, the tone of the language here that says, like I do, where he just walked in to the cool of the garden. He just said, hey, Adam, where are you? But if you don't have a personal relationship with God, I believe your voice more than likely heard, where are you? How dare you? The angry, mean God coming in to strike them. See, that's not God. God has came to rescue man, not to condemn man. God came into this garden, and he asked here is the very first question that God asks man right here in the scriptures. Where are you? See, he was walking with Adam and Eve every day. But this time, they were nowhere to be found because they were hiding. He said, God, where are you? And Adam and Eve, sitting there hiding behind the tree, you go that way, Eve, I go this way, maybe he won't see us. Maybe he won't notice. But you notice that God called to Adam, leader of the house, where are you? Now, we can assume this is God in the person of Jesus Christ, appearing to Adam and Eve before his incarnation and birth at Bethlehem. Why? Because the God, the Father, it is said that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father he has declared him, John 1.18. And no man has ever seen God in the person of the Father, 1 Timothy 6.16. So here is Jesus, the pre-incarnation of Jesus, walking and coming in. Where are you? And then what did he say? Verse 10, and he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? I love the question from God. Then the man said, the woman. Oh, uh-oh. Gets worse. The woman whom you gave to be with me, 
and she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Oh, Adam. See how gentle God is. God knew that he ate of that tree. But God was waiting by just asking a question to see if he was going to come and repent and confess that he sinned. By asking the question. That's how God sometimes comes. He gently comes and just says, uh, did you? And he wants us to just freely just, yeah, I did. I confess. I, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. And he wants repentance. He wants a change of heart. So many times he'll come to you and say, are you doing what you're doing? And what happens so many times of an unrepenting heart at times, initially, is they shift blame. I was born that way. Did you know that I'm, I'm Irish? I'm, a, I'm a, an Italian. You know, I'm a New Yorker. Adam said, the woman that you gave me, it's her fault. It's actually your fault, God, because you're the one that created her. Do you think those, doubt, those, those uh, shifting and blame is going to help this case? It doesn't. But the sin made Adam guilty. And when you're guilty, you become afraid of God of what God is going to say and what God may do to correct you. And when that happens, if you do not confess to God, if you do not repent to God, then you will find yourself just like them, hiding from the voice and the person of Jesus Christ. You will avoid the scriptures. You will avoid church. You will avoid Christian fellowship, you will avoid because you know that you're living, have done something that is going against the word of God. And God just says, where are you? I want fellowship with you. I want to help you. Well, it's interesting. What happens? Verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? He asks a question to her. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, yes, she was deceived. So not necessarily did she shift the blame here, but she did. He deceived me. Well, some people say, well, if you get deceived, then that's not her problem, not her fault. Well, not true. Because she still knew not to touch that tree, not to eat of that tree. So what's interesting is you go back, if you know the scriptures, Romans 1, 25 clarifies this for us. When it talks about, oh, I was deceived, it's not my fault kind of excuse. But in Romans 1, 25 says, it is still sin to exchange the truth of God for the lie. And that's what she did. She chose to, to eat that fruit 
exchange for what God said not to do, his truth. Do not, don't, 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 don't eat it. And she did anyway. So then we see what happens here. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the very first part of the curse that is directed at the animal that Satan was disguising himself in and using to, to tempt Eve and uh, bring down Adam. God commanded the serpent to slither away. However, he was on the legs. Now he's going to be slithering on the belly the rest of his cre created life. Eating the dust of the, the ground. Then that he would put enmity between woman and him. Now, women, how many of you would go out there and grab a snake right now and start having a fellowship and discussion with a snake now? Were you ever taught that? No, no, it's, it's, it's ingrained in you. I don't touch serpents. I don't want to get nothing. I didn't like it before I knew God, and then after I knew God, I hated him even more. There's a hostility, and there's a hatred to those things. I don't want nothing to do with them. Even the little garter snake, oh, they're good. No, no, no. I don't touch. Don't want, don't need. No, definitely not. But he said he put enmity. The second part of the curse is directed towards Satan himself, if you notice. God placed a natural animosity between Satan and mankind as well. An enmity, a hostility that you do not like the devil. You do not like Satan. Whatever name you want to call him. It doesn't help by saying, oh, he's Lucifer. I, you have this animosity, this enmity that God is between you and him. God placed that there so that you would not be attracted naturally to go to him. That you would always push away those anything that even senses something darkness, you want to push it away. Because there is a mutual hostility, a mutual hatred. Satan hates you too. But now man will push away and push away. But the challenge is, is that your sinful nature, if not grounded on the word of God, and that, that relationship with God, a closeness with God, there you are at risk of being tricked and deceived just like Eve was. A little whisper, a little temptation with the lust of the flesh, a little temptation of the lust of the eyes, a little bit of pride of life, drawing you in to a point where you are deceived at the fact that it's even Satan manipulating behind the scenes to cause you to do that. 
And you have to be very careful because you, you see it today that people actually are worshiping Satan. Actually worshiping the things of darkness. Actually allowing things into their lives through TV and music and video games. And it is amazing the plethora of ways of darkness that are coming and seeping in to the, the most earliest of ages of your children, to the oldest ages of man. And that we've gotten so accustomed to this that we don't see it being any manipulation that from Satan himself. And God says, we've got to keep the enmity between you and darkness, between you and Satan. You've got to hate that. If not, you will, you will fall. And of course, in this key verses here is critical that we see the very first prophecy of Jesus' ultimate defeat of Satan. God announced that Satan would wound the Messiah. Yes, you shall bruise his heel. But the Messiah at the cross would crush Satan with a mortal wound. He will bruise, shall bruise your head. And this section right here also gives us the very first view of the prophecy of the virgin birth. The declaring of the Messiah, the deliverer, and, the, and would be the seed of the woman and not of the man that the, the Savior, the deliverer, would come through. And here he is in the garden speaking to, here's Adam listening, here's Eve listening, here's, here's the serpent listening. What was the response? Well, he turns here in verse 16, he says, to the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So serpent, you're on your belly, you're out of here, you're defeated. I already have victory, I already have a plan, it's going to come to fruition, you're, you're, you're a dead man. To the woman, there's consequences of your decisions, your actions. And she says, because of this, now you will greatly multiply your sorrow. And you can look through his story. Women deal and have to deal with more sorrow than anybody else. Women, I'm sorry, you have so much more sorrow that you have to deal with. It's a curse that God has placed upon Eve. And it was brought all the way through of all generations. And also your conception, in pain you shall bring forth children. Can you imagine having children back then? And it was the way it was designed that you would not even have pain having children. Amazing. And your desire shall be your husband. There will be such a pull from you women for your desire for your, your husband that, that will, he will be your complete focus, your intention. It's very natural. Even at the very young age of, of young girls, they become like a, a motherly all early. It's like already 
thinking and, and moving and, and doing what God has created them to do as a woman. But this also, this scripture also says that you will then have this desire to dominate your husband as well. You will want to replace his headship, his leadership within the home. But God, as man, shall rule over you. He will be the leader of your home. And here's where that curse, that strife has come. Is there's a power or a butting of heads within a marriage because of the curse, because of the desires, because of the positionings that God has put in place. This desire that he talked about for the woman, we see in Genesis 4, 7, of the desire of sin to master over Cain. Because of the curse, Eve would have to fight a desire to master her husband. A desire that works against God-ordained order of the home. Adam's position as a head of the household was established before the fall. It was, sent, it was back there in Genesis 2.18 and 2.22, if you remember. And now the curse on Eve makes it much harder for her to submit and to respect the flow and understanding of the husband and the, and the position that God has instituted for the male headship of the home. And so as a result, it's much more difficult for man no longer rules easily to be able to easily um, lead his wife. He must fight for his headship. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission and respect of the wife and the, also the loving headship of the husband. It's very difficult for the husband to love the wife in, in that leadership position. And that is really the root of why couples struggle. Is it started here in Genesis chapter 3. And only by submitting in your life to Jesus Christ and allowing him to work through your life and to change you so that you then, the two of you come together with the Lord. That is how God has designed it to rely upon him to have a good marriage. That you have to die of self and you have to be obedient to what God has called you in your role and responsibility within that marriage. It requires dying of self and living under the commandments of God to have a good and healthy, wonderful relationship. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you, re you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for the dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So the consequences on to, to Adam is what? You're going to work, man. And it's not going to be like it was. 
it was so much joy and so much fun naming the animals and, t- and taking care and everything within the garden. Now it's just going to be nothing but toil and you're going to sweat and you're going to work hard the rest of your life just to make a living. We're always looking for the more comforts. How can I make it easier for me? How can I work less? God said, no, I've cursed you. You're going to work your life. And it used to be fruit would just bear from this land. Now thorns and thistles are going to make it even more difficult for you. Anyone who does gardening knows this. Why is it I'm sitting here waiting for this plant to grow and the thorns and thistles grew up overnight? Welcome to Genesis chapter 3 when that all started. No more mystery anymore. You're going to toil, Adam. And you're going to toil until you return to the dust. Like that's exactly where you came from. And in verse 20, Adam called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. Well, stop right there. Was she pregnant? No. Did she already have children? No. Then why did Adam name Change the name of uh, the woman to Eve, and which means the mother of all living. Like she's the mother of a lot of children here. Here we see a change. We see right here Adam believes and trusts in the word of God that he was given in verses 14 and 15. That she was going to bear children in pain and it will be a multitude of children yes sorrow too but that it was coming and he believed and trusted in God and there was a change in Adam right there and by faith he believed God and he changed the name of woman at that point in time now many of us say oh we always say Adam and Eve Adam and Eve every time we talk about the story but remember That was not her name until just now. They had called her what? Female in Genesis 1.27. A helper comparable in Genesis 2.18. A woman in Genesis 2.22 and 23. A wife in Genesis 2.24 and 25 in in chapter 3 verse 8. But now we see he says she's Eve. Because by faith, a simple faith Based on the word of God, he acted upon it, that is faith. Isn't that amazing? And God's response to that faith is what? 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed. There was a change of heart of Adam and Eve. They heard what God said and they believed. And based on that, God's response to that faith is then to cover their sin himself. Here we see the very first sacrifice because there must be 
be a sacrifice made for sin. Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. In order for Adam and Eve to be clothed, a sacrifice had to be made. An animal had to die. Their fig leaf, out of their own effort, their own ways to try to make it right and cover it, is called religion. Covering yourself with your own good works in the name of Christianity, in the name of going to church, is like Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. But Adam and Eve were clothed in a garment that was purchased with the life of another. We are clothed with a garment of righteousness that was purchased with the life of another, Jesus Christ. We see here, right here, Al, through the Old Testament, of the provision how God was going to cover the sins of the nation of Israel. And when we get into the New Testament, he was going to be the lamb that will be slain, and his blood would give the, the covering of the all of sin of the world. And we see it right here in Genesis chapter 3, God already revealing his plan of salvation man and he clothed them I believe this indicates that Adam and Eve were saved based on faith in God and Adam had faith in God's promise of the Savior would come through the woman not of man it would come through the seed as we see and your Bibles the word seed should be capitalized s for the deity of God and who's the seed? Jesus Christ. And God provided a covering for them through that sacrifice based on their faith. And we will see, I believe, Adam and Eve in heaven. And then we wrap it here. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Us should be capitalized in your Bible, meaning the Trinity, to know God and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And therefore the God, Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to, the, to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the, of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So because of now they have been exposed to the knowledge of evil, they are now see things that God intended them never to have to see and experience. There should never have had, had evil was to come in. But if they're chosen, their actions, their free will to choose to sin, which they did, then God is going to implement his plan. And out of his mercy... He could have just wiped them all out and started again. But out of his mercy, he says, this is not good. If Adam and Eve goes into the midst of the garden and eats from the tree of life, and now they have immortality with a sinful nature, they're sinners for eternity, cannot let that happen. I love them too much to be a sinner going into eternity. 
initially it says here in the scripture, he was kind of, come on, Adam, come on, Eve, let's get out of here. But you notice another verse, he then drove them out. Can you imagine you're Adam and Eve? Would you want to leave a perfect place at the time? I believe that God had to, no, 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 you got to go. And then he brings the cherubim down. The cherubim with swords of fire to keep them from being able to get back to the tree of life. Can you imagine as Satan whispered into their ears again and said, oh, if you can get to the tree of life, you'll fix it all. You'll be all better, knowing that we'd seal them for eternity in hell. But out of God's mercy, he said, no, no, you got to get out of the garden. And he protected the tree of life. We see cherubim are always associated with the presence and the glory of God. Ezekiel 10, Isaiah 6, and Revelation 4. God, not only did he put the cherubim there, but wherever the cherubim is, the glory of God is present. So Adam and Eve could come back to the edge of the garden and spend time with the glory of God right there. We see the cherubim being at the tabernacle. The glory of God, the Shekinah glory was there. Exodus 25, verses 10 through 22. It was a marking, a meeting place with God. Daily life would now become a struggle for Adam and Eve and all the descendants. For man and woman outside of the garden, it will be a toil for their bread and raising of their family. They still had fellowship with God. They still could have fellowship with God. God was still communicating with them, directing them. We will see as we continue in the scriptures. But would daily suffer the consequences of their sin. And so would their descendants. So would you and I. The law of sin and death would now operate in the human family until the end of time. But God would roll out his plan of redemption of man and woman. And from chapter 3 on... And from the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, would bring about a new law. And we see that in Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Anyone who puts their faith, their trust into Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior shall be set free. 